Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. All right, today we've got the story of Lieutenant Michael Murphy. Michael Murphy was a Navy SEAL serving in Afghanistan in 2005. And for his actions on June 28th of that year in Kunar province, eastern part of Afghanistan, he'd be awarded the Medal of Honor. You're probably familiar with his name or his picture or maybe some of the ways that this story is documented. They're made popular by the book Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell, who was the lone survivor from this group, as well as the movie by the same name, Lone Survivor. If you haven't read those, if you're at all interested in this, and you haven't read the read that book, haven't uh, watched that movie, uh, give it a shot. I think I think you'd like it. Michael Murphy and his team of four Navy SEALs were set to take part in something called Operation Red Wings. Operation Red Wings was going to be a direct, it was the the overall background here is a direct action raid to try to kill a senior Taliban member in Kunar province. There's a few pieces to it, so we'll kind of dance around how how it plays out. At this point in the war in 2005, the United States has transitioned to if we, you know, if we look back, we'd say, this is no longer kinetic. Now we're nation building. And you know, I don't know how history will judge that and if that's actually what happened. Um, this was certainly a time in Afghanistan where we had so few troops on the ground that I don't know that we recognized the strength of the Taliban or the anti-government forces. There's still a lot of, there's still a lot of militias, uh, a lot of folks that weren't necessarily Taliban, but certainly weren't pro-U.S. and weren't really pro-Kabul government at this time. But this will be an interesting one to look back. And as we get further and further away, we can usually get a little more, um, a little more detailed analysis, and and it's not quite as an emotional analysis to understand was the country was Afghanistan just not yet erupted in violence. Had the Taliban not yet really made their comeback or did we just not know about it because we didn't have enough people around? Anyways, in 2005, in the lead up to 2005, we're looking at nation building and there's an election coming up and the Marines are in charge of this portion portion of RCE, specifically 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines. And it's just a nasty area. Kunar in general is a tough place to fight. It is, as I've said before, if you are, if you have to defend your home, if you have to defend your tribe, and you've got a hole up in some area, selecting Kunar province isn't a bad spot. The Russians, when they, or the Soviets, when they fought in Afghanistan, struggled in and, in and around Kunar. And I think history will show that the United States also struggled to truly pacify Kunar it almost felt like we could never have enough troops on the ground. And the more people we had on the ground, the more fights there were. And it's just designed to be defended. It's a nasty, nasty place to fight, which makes it a great place to defend. In fact, if you look at the Medal of Honor recipients 
in Afghanistan, there were 18 awarded total. Seven of those came out of Kunar province. There are 34 provinces across Afghanistan. Now, some saw heavier fighting than others, um, but I think it speaks to the, the vicious nature of the fight in RC East and Regional Command East, but more specifically in Kunar. Operation Red Wings is designed to go after a Taliban leader named Ahmed Shah. He is supposedly, at the, at the time of the operation, in charge of a handful of fighters, 50 or so. And, you know, we, we're, we're really, we're trying to pick these guys off. Again, we've, the tactics and strategy changed over time, but in 2005, we we're looking to take out the leaders of these small groups, thinking that, that if we could just remove that guy, we'd probably be one step closer to a pacified, unified Afghan government. The model, generally speaking, for these operations, this wasn't the first. It wouldn't be the last. The general model was that special operations forces would go in early, overwatch the target, identify, um, conduct reconnaissance, and figure out, is the target there? Where do we think they are? You know, Refine the location, maybe call back if there's um, a number of, of, of enemy combatants in the area. Then a special operations raid would follow that up with a, a hit on the target. And there'd be some level of conventional forces conducting a cordon, maybe, or surrounding the, surrounding the target, maybe moving through and searching the village after the fact, maybe blocking entrances and exits, you know, a mile down the road or something. So this had been done before, and that was the general plan for Operation Red Wings. Michael Murphy would take his four-man team, and they were going to be inserted. They would conduct overwatch and reconnaissance of the target identify if they could the high value target of um, Ahmed Shah. If nothing else, call back what they saw so that the troops getting ready to come in either would come or wouldn't come. Um, but they knew what they were getting into. So they're getting eyes on the ground. That is the job of Lieutenant Michael Murphy and his team. The night of 27 June, they have the they, they come in they have a successful insertion and what they do what these helicopters do as they're coming in is they don't just land and then drop everybody and then they take off because everybody you can hear a helicopter from however far away and if you're a bad guy on the ground and you hear a helicopter on the mountainside it, you don't have to know what part of the mountain they're on you know there's something going on in that mountain so what what, what a common tactic would be to have these false insertions where they would land two three four six times um, in the course of the night, like, what are you going to do now? Are there guys in every direction or are they just in one direction? Are they not there at all? Anyways, that was, that was used that night, June 27th. And then, uh, morning of the 28th, they, they're, they've made their way to the target. They're overwatching from a position and, uh, and they're set up. Unfortunately, a local goat herder would come through the area and see them. And there's this dilemma that's played out. I think it's played out well in the movie and the book, but the issue arises of you've been spotted. You're, you know, for all intents and purposes behind enemy lines. What do you do with this person? Because you can't just walk down the street and get in your car and drive off. They're going to be on this mountain for another 24 plus hours. How do they treat this situation. And it's worth saying that if they would have just shot, executed, 
that Afghan, this whole rest of the whole series of events here might not have played out. Um, that's, you know, the, the moral issue they were wrestling with and they did what at the time they believed to be right. And I think, um, allows everybody's moral compass to stay strong and, and sitting here in the comfort of our home would say, um, good move, let him live. They let him live rolling the dice that he wouldn't do what he did. He went down the mountain, informed the local Taliban leader that there were Afghans on the mountain, whether it was Ahmed Shah directly or just some of his men, it was his group. And the Americans immediately have to start falling back into a defensive position. They have to, even though they don't know that this is what happened, they have to assume it's what happened. They start falling back and they're having a, they're having an issue where they don't have radio communications with their headquarters, with any American unit, really. They're using a variety of different communications devices, but Kunar, it's just these steep mountains. It's there, there are ways away from the American bases and these mountains are just really messing with their communications ability. So they can't even relay back to their headquarters that they've been compromised. They just have to start finding their way. They got to move. They can't stay where the goat herder saw them. That's a recipe for disaster. And remember, they don't know that there's going to be Taliban on there on their trail. So they start moving. They start moving to try to find a better place to uh, establish communications as well as potentially have to defend themselves if this Taliban force comes. Of course, before long, they're ambushed by a sizable enemy force. The numbers of people that attack them, the size of this Taliban force has been a little all over the map. I think I saw somewhere where it was listed as 100 and others where it was closer to 15. But even 15, 15 against four, when you're ambushing that four and you're in your home territory, they're not. 15 against four is brutal. I think a safe number is in the 20 to 30 range. Um, nonetheless, again, take any number you want. It's at least at number two to one, likely a lot more than that. And a, a pretty vicious fight ensues. The Murphy leads his team as they continue to fall back. Uh, fall back might not be the right term. They continue to maneuver to try to find the best position. So they're on a unfamiliar hillside. They're in enemy territory. And they have they don't know the directions the enemies are the, the Taliban fighters are coming from. They just know that they're receiving fire from you know from one position and then another and then another. So they're doing the best they can, consolidating and engaging and defending their position. With just about everybody on the team wounded, Michael Murphy decides that there's a need to call in air support. And it's not that he's just now deciding. We need air support. We need reinforcements. It's that they haven't been able to get communications yet. They continually have been trying. And that's part of the reason they're moving around is got to find this, you know, this spot. Where is it going to work? And we've all been in that position where you randomly don't have Wi-Fi signal, as an example. And then it just happens. Usually, you're trying to find uh, an area that's away from everything. Maybe maybe that sticks up a little bit in the air. Um that's what they're looking for. That's what Lieutenant Michael Murphy's looking for. And he finds it. He finds this little outcropping where he can climb out to make this call. Hopefully, hopefully it'll work. 
problem is it's fully exposed. And again, they're catching fire, vicious, heavy volumes of enemy fire from AK-47s, from PKM machine guns, from mortars, from RPGs, from every direction. It is, they are raining down hell on the SEAL's position. To make this call, Michael Murphy has to expose himself, likely giving his life or risking his life, I guess I'll say, to make the call that might work. It hasn't worked yet, so it's going to be a gamble if it even happens this time. He crawls to that area, though, wounded, makes the call. While he's on the line, he makes he makes it through to the American position, is shot again while he's on the phone, continues his transmission, let him know their situation, let him know where they are and that they need help. He signs off even saying thank you to the men receiving the call and stays in that position, engaging the enemy until he's mortally wounded and dies. At the age of 29, on 28 June, 2005, Lieutenant Michael Murphy crawled to the edge of that mountaintop to make the call to hopefully save the lives of his fellow SEALs. There's more to this story. After that call is made and it tips off their headquarters that something's wrong, it's crazy to think about this, but as these guys are going through the, the, the most savage firefight of their life, the rest of the American units don't even know what's happening because they haven't been able to get a call out. So these guys are on the brink of being overrun and, they, and, and nobody even knows it, let alone is on their way to help. By the way, help is not at the bottom of the mountain. Help is 30 minutes away. I mean, it's, it's, it's not quick. At this point, understanding now that their recon team, the first end of the target that was um, set to be picked up later, was at the risk of being overrun, a new operation kicked off titled Operation Red Wings 2. And this turned into a rescue mission to get Lieutenant Murphy's team off that hillside. Helicopters came in, Apaches, as well as Chinooks. And as a Chinook was coming near the target, one of Ahmed Shah's men readied an RPG, striking the Chinook, forcing it to crash land, killing all 16 on board. This would be the single largest loss of life in a battle at, to that point in the Afghanistan war, the largest loss of life for the Navy SEAL community for, I, I think, since Vietnam. Everything shifted. Forces were reorganized. And for the next few weeks, conventional and special operations forces combed the area, recovering American forces, recovering our fallen, recovering equipment as they could, and pushing back Ahmed Shah's men. The bodies of the of Lieutenant Michael Murphy and his fellow SEALs were recovered and brought home. And the one lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell, was brought in by a local Afghan, cared for, protected, and handed over to American forces shortly thereafter. So, Lieutenant Michael Murphy, giving his life to give his buddies a chance to survive, 
on a brutal mountaintop during a brutal mountaintop fight in Kunar, Afghanistan, 28 June, 2005. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.